The weather is cooling off, but the savings are hot at Legacy. Right now, the Daikin Comfort Pros at Legacy Heating and Air are saving you thousands on select Daikin heating systems. Upgrade to a Daikin high-efficiency heating system from Legacy today and spend winter warm and worry-free. Get thousands in rebates and enjoy flexible financing options to suit your budget. Daikin systems deliver unbeatable comfort, cleaner, safer indoor air, and energy savings. Visit LegacyHeatingAndAirInc.com to view exclusive offers and get qualified now. Welcome to Football Never Sleeps, the aspiring to, to be viral Notre Dame football show that runs on YouTube every Monday at 7 o'clock through the season and who knows when in the off season, but we do do it weekly. We just move it around for you. No moving around now. We're here to give you all the news coming out of the bye week for Notre Dame football, which is ranked 14th in the country, 6-2 and two and playing Pittsburgh, 2-5. and five. Saturday at Notre Dame Stadium. I'm Eric Hansen, as my little tag says. He's Tyler James. And together, we're going to not only talk Notre Dame football, but we're going to talk it with you as you submit questions to us and comments and even compliments. We'll, we'll remark on those. I've gotten to the end of the line of things that I technically know how to tell you about. Tyler James is going to take it from here, and then we'll get into the show. Yeah, if you're new to the YouTube game and you want to submit questions, make sure you've clicked through to the YouTube uh, desktop version or a mobile app. Um, you do not want to be watching us embedded if you want to comment because you won't be able to do so. Um, once you do so, you should be able to comment in the chat box where you'll see folks um, submitting questions like Bob Alvey just did. And uh, you'll be able to get those to us. The, the chat box should be on the right-hand side if you're on a desktop. Uh, should be below um, our talking heads if you are on a mobile device. Um, and I want to give everyone a reminder, if you don't know the deal by now, we have a 30-day free trial of InsideNDSports.com available for our YouTube audience. Use promo code NDYT when you sign up to get free access to our premium analysis and recruiting coverage and special access to Eric, myself, and Charleston Bowles on the Insider Lounge 24-7, even during a bye week. Um, and uh, there's a link in the... Uh, show description, so you should be able to find it there. If you go to sign up on InsideNDSports.com, as long as you include the code NDYT, you should be able to sign up for a 30-day free trial, and we hope if you haven't already taken advantage of that, you consider doing that, uh, especially I mean, that gets you pretty far through here the rest of the rest of Notre Dame's regular season with, with some interesting games coming up. Okay, well, we are coming out of the bye week Marcus Freeman was not asked whether anybody ate cheeseburgers, and that's an old reference to the Charlie Weiss bye week days. Not that Charlie ate cheeseburgers, but he accused um, Florida of eating cheeseburgers and then jumping Notre Dame in the polls. That's where that reference comes from. Uh, Notre Dame did actually get jumped in all three of the polls, although they moved up in two of them. They are now 14th in all three polls that I pay attention to, the AP, the coaches poll, and the one I vote in, the Super 16 poll, number 14 in that, Utah, which just beat USC on Saturday night in Los Angeles. They have moved to 13. Uh, Pittsburgh is 2-5 and five after losing to Wake Forest 21-17 on Saturday, and they did it despite facing Wake Forest's third-string quarterback, who is Santino Marucci, making his first college start. 
They outgained Wake by almost 100 yards. They had ran 15 more offensive plays. They did way better on third down, won time of possession, won the turnover battle, and yet managed to lose the game. And part of that came on a slide that was started too early to gain a first down. If the quarterback for Pitt, Christian Vieira, had just run for the first down and run out of bounds, they would have had a fresh set of downs and probably been able to run out the clock. Instead, Wake Forest got the ball back and beat Pittsburgh. So they are 2-5 and five coming in to Notre Dame Stadium. Um, not a great showing by Notre Dame's opponents, past and future. Only Ohio State, Tennessee State, and Wake won. And Wake, somebody had to win the Wake-Pittsburgh game, so you had to get one win. Ohio State had an impressive win over Penn State. Tennessee State beat Lincoln pretty badly in FCS play. NC State and Louisville had buys. So what did Notre Dame accomplish in the bye week? Uh, we're going to get that information from Tyler James. And did he like what Marcus Freeman, how they went about their business during the bye week? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it makes sense what Notre Dame was trying to do. I, I don't know that Marcus Freeman necessarily shared a lot of insight with us in terms of things that Notre Dame um, half marathon learned about himself. He has wife for a half marathon. Tim O'Malley made some questionable play calls in the offensive <laughs> football games uh, that Marcus Freeman wanted to grill him about. Um, but I, I, there was one he, there's one quote I pulled out from from the press conference. He said, we had to get after it and really make sure that we were improving in all areas of the game of football, but also with the areas that we've been deficient. Um, he didn't necessarily identify those areas that Notre Dame has been deficient, except for there's one he set, seemed to highlight specifically, and that was taking more downfield shots um, off of play action. Um, so I imagine there's more than that. Wasn't the only thing that, that Notre Dame identified as a deficiency. Um, I would like to think that Notre Dame could find some better answers in the running game and, and could also scheme some guys open in the passing game on some shorter throws as well. Um, those are, those are some of the things that were top of mind to me, but just to break down the schedule for people who weren't, uh, weren't aware. Um, and we had, this information on uh, InsideIndieSports.com last week uh, when I was covering our trail tracks with Notre Dame's coaching staff out on the road. Uh, Notre Dame practiced for the first three days of the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then the coaching staff hit the road with some uh, recruiting visits on Thursday and Friday to get up to schools and watch kids play in some games. Um, and uh, that's how Notre Dame staff spent the rest of the week. And uh, um, Marcus Freeman said he gave them Saturday off most of Sunday off as well, and they got back on Sunday to to have some discussions and and get ready for for Pittsburgh. So that's how Notre Dame spent the week. That the players didn't have class, so that is a good thing. Um, I think, given the stretch that Notre Dame just is coming out of, I think the fact that just they they had a break was, I mean, it seems like it's like a media trope that the bye week is coming at the right time or whatever. But but it seems like. It's hard to Notre Dame was hard pressed and needed a buy. I think uh, even though it's coming off a big victory against USC, this was a long eight game stretch for Notre Dame, spending lots of miles, um, and uh, the time off um, should have served Notre Dame well. Yeah, I, I had a chance to ask Marcus Freeman, you know, what were your priorities behind 
beyond the three practices, beyond the recruiting. And he goes, there wasn't a whole lot of time for anything else at that point. (laughs) Now, in his defense or to his credit or whatever, they do a lot of self-scouting, probably more than most teams do on a week-to-week basis. So they don't leave it to a bye week to then play catch-up with that. Although I'm surprised they didn't do a little bit more of it, maybe on Sunday. Um, and maybe they'll get into that a little bit this week since they had the three practices last week as a coaching staff. Yeah, Tyler mentioned the uh, the wanting to take deep shots down the field and so forth. You know, the one thing that Marcus is being very careful with is not blaming play calling. Um, he was kind of given the option – you know, play calling versus execution, how much has the recent dip in offense uh, been related to that? And even though Notre Dame scored 48 points, they didn't run a lot of offensive plays, and they only had 251 total yards in the USC game. But um, he is steadfast that it's execution, and he's very careful about not blaming the players. He said now it's up to the coaches to simplify things bring clarity. It's not about more, more, more and scheming. It's about clear, clear, clear. And so that's kind of his thoughts about not only how they got into this mess, but how they're going to get out of it. And again, he acknowledged teams are now daring them to throw the ball. So they are going to have to take shots down the field. Pittsburgh to me comes at the perfect time. They are uh, really good template for the team that should show you if if you still have problems in that area they are the number 26 overall defense in the country and yards per game allowed but they are one of the inferior pass defenses in the country they're 95th and pass efficiency defense and so they lean into the run they lean into bringing pressures and and rushing the quarterback, and they're willing to give up shots down the field. So it'll be really interesting to see if Notre Dame can execute that on Saturday. Uh, Notre Dame's 1-0 coming out of bye weeks under Marcus Freeman, having beaten BYU in Las Vegas last season. So let's talk a little bit about injury and personnel stuff. Uh, first here, Tyler, what are the what's the injury situation with Notre Dame? Yeah, so Jaden Thomas and Jaden Greathouse, who we've been talking about for weeks, um, are getting closer to be 100%. Marcus Freeman said that they're going to be as close to 100% as they've been since the start of the season. Um, That is certainly good news. They've played the last two games um, in varying amounts, but they haven't produced much. They had just two catches combined against Louisville and USC, um, and I think it's pretty obvious that Notre Dame needs them in the passing game. Tobias Merriweather um, is someone who needs – or Marcus Freeman said he needs to have a role, so that's not on the injury front, but it's the wide receiver discussion. Um, and then also with the wide receiver position, Deion Colsey, um, not expected back quite yet, um, just get, getting to some individual work this week. Um, Deion Colsey, if you if you don't recall, had, a, had knee surgery or an arthroscopic surgery prior to the Duke game. Um, and so he was, he's working his way back from that. But Marcus Freeman did indicate that he thinks he'll be ready to go in a couple of weeks and, and and have an opportunity to play and be available uh, later this season still. Okay, we're going to go to some bye week thoughts unless you want to jump into a couple questions before we get there. 
Um, we, yeah, we got a couple of questions that we can get the ball rolling on that front. Let's go to Bob Alvey. Are college coaches using analytics too much? In my opinion, due to the disparity in college football, the accuracy is in question, unlike the NFL analytics due to the parity in the league. So are college coaches using analytics too much? I, I don't know. I don't know what all teams do. Um, I, I know that they have analysts. Everybody has analysts on their roster. They do have access to it and different kinds of analytics. Marcus Freeman has often referenced analytics and the numbers when he's described why he made a fourth down decision or why he wanted Audrick estimate to go down on the one yard line against Duke on his own. Um, from, from my standpoint, I wondered whether Notre Dame was using analytics too much. I talked to Al Golden a couple weeks ago about his usage of it, and I think he wants to know what the numbers say, but I still think he goes with his experience and his gut. I think Marcus probably leans into the raw numbers a little bit more right now, which I'm not a super fan of, but I do think it's good to know what those are. Yeah, I mean, I think analytics is, is another thing that coaches can point to if they're taking heat over a decision. Uh, and who, how are we to know if they actually use the analytics or not? If the analytics are on their side and that's the decision that they went with, then it's easy to say, well, yeah, that's what the analytics say to do. Um, and you're not blaming anyone else because analytics isn't a person. <laughs> um, so, so I don't know. I, I mean, I think certainly analytics informs decisions a lot. Um, and I think it comes down to the coach in terms of how much they want to rely on that. I think you have to know how your team fits into those analytics and whether you have like team specific analytics. Like for instance, when we were talking about the decision of whether or not Notre Dame should have like tried to go down against Duke and Audric estimate and not score a touchdown and allow Spencer Schrader to kick what would essentially be an extra point. Um, the analytics would indicate that Spencer Schrader is basically automatic and as extra point because that's that's he has a long career of of kicking extra points and Notre Dame's long snapper obviously has a long career, Michael Vincent, of snapping cleanly. But there's many more variables that go into kicking extra point besides just those guys. Um, so you have to sort of know what to be confident in and what not to be confident in as it, as it relates to those analytics. So I I, I don't know how much exactly Notre Dame is using analytics and when they're using analytics, I think it informs and has encouraged coaches to be more aggressive on fourth down situations on the other side of the field. When you're, you're in enemy territory, a lot of the analytics support going forward on fourth and short, because your, your, your chances of getting it um, are better than your chances of pinning an opposing team inside the 20 sometimes. Um, so I, there's, there's some math there involved in, um, I think you sort of have to, I think in every, on a game by game basis, you have to have a sense for, okay, how well is our offense playing? How well is their defense playing? What play call do we have in mind for that situation? Um, so I, I think it can be used too much. And especially if it's not used with sort of the context of the situation specific to the team and the game um, that it's being cited in. All right. Next question is from John Murray from five to 10. How would you rate the O-line play at this point in the season? I'll let you go first and then I'll copy off of your paper because you've really studied it more than I have. 
Um, I would probably go with a seven. Um, maybe seven and a half. <laughs> um, I just think they for the played most, better in some of the bigger games. They have. Um, and they, like they were fine against USC. I mean, they protected Sam Hartman. Um, weren't great in the running game, but they but they did a decent enough job. They, they prevented tackles for loss, which is a big thing against a, a USC front that likes to do that and does a good job of doing that. Um, I just like Joe Alt is Joe Alt. Like, there's no, I don't think there's a lot of criticism there. But beyond that, I don't know that we've seen huge improvements. I mean, especially with Zeke Carell and Blake Fisher, I think we expected to see steps, significant steps forward from them in their second full seasons as starters. Um, and I don't know that we've necessarily seen that on a consistent basis. Pat Coogan and Rocco Spindler, I think you sort of expected some up and ups and downs as first-time starters. Um, and I think we've seen a lot of that throughout the season. So I would probably go so- – a seven, maybe somewhere between a seven and an eight, um, given the way they've played lately. Um, and I'm interested to see how they how they can continue to grow and what that looks like in these last four games. What, what would you say, Eric? Well, I'm going to dig into analytics here, <laughs> since we're allowed to know. Um, you know, they did make the midseason honor roll for Joe Moore Award. Now, that's 23 teams, but 23 out of 130 so if you do the math there, that kind of equates to an upper 20 to 25%. So I would give them about a seven and a half. I, I agree with a lot of points Tyler made about not having a n- noticeable improvement from Blake Fisher and Zeke Carell. And again, it's just been really inconsistent. Now, again, some of what I think plagued them in the Louisville game was because there was all these people coming in and out of the game in a game where continuity and cohesiveness was super important, the way Mm -hmm. that Louisville was moving around its defensive front. So I kind of throw that on the coaches more than I do uh, the players not executing that. But uh, it's going to be really interesting to see down the stretch. In the press conference today, Marcus Freeman committed to those five starters for this week. And this would have been a time if you were going to make a change, I think, where it makes sense. I think at this point, you kind of ride those guys out for the rest of the year now that you're committing to them for game number nine. All right. One more question here from Ed Coquillard. Was there any forthcoming information as to why Matt Bayless left the program? I I see this question all the time, and I I don't have much more to add, but I wanted to throw it in here because I know we get it a lot. I don't think that you're going to see a public explanation for that until Matt Bayless resurfaces back at Notre Dame or somewhere else, which it'll probably be somewhere else, but it's not going to be during this season, obviously. And it's something that he's requested privacy for. And I think pretty much everybody's kind of honored that, but, uh, he is missed because not only what he does in the weight room, but just his reach beyond that as far as a leader, institutional knowledge of the program. I think he is really one of the best guys at what he does in the country. And we know that after this season, Fred Hale will get an interview, the interim, 
and there will be a national search for his replacement. I doubt that he ends up coming back, but, uh, you know, I would never rule anything out. Yeah, I, so I did um, grades for Notre Dame's coaching staff um, on InsideNDSports.com today for our premium subscribers, and someone on the Insider Lounge asked me what I would grade this the strength and conditioning staff, and I don't, I don't really have any way to to quantify that. Um, and then also, like, how do you, who gets the credit or the blame? Like, is it? I tend to think Matt, the the off season preparation is more important than the in season ma- maintenance. Um, so if Notre Dame's coming up short, is that Fred Hale's fault or is that Matt Bayless's fault? I don't have the answer to that. Um, so that's why I don't try to tackle that that question in my grades uh, story. So I, I think, um, yeah, it's it, it's hard for us to measure it there. But some of the things that they do do during in season is injury prevention um, and, you know, recovery, nutrition, sleep. Think They monitor the sure. player's sleep, things like that. But that's not something we have access to those numbers. Yeah, and you know, do, we, we, do we have any idea if Fred Hill's doing anything different than Matt Bayless was doing at all? Like, I don't, I don't know that. So Yeah, uh, I mean, we we know that, you know, the nutritionist exact plan. isn't saying, hey, guys, have whatever you have sugar frosted flakes for breakfast. We're fine with that. Taco Bell for lunch every day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, but All right, that's it. But for it's a good thing there. to look at in the off season. So we're going to kind of take, give you some bi-week thoughts and we're going to start with our own. We were both off on Saturday. Um, Tyler, did you watch any football games and have any observations from the day? Um, I watched some, pieces of games i was actually watching other games that i'm sure no one watching this had any interest in um i was spent some time with my parents we were we were watching my brother's game he is a uh, a coach for a division two school minnesota state moorhead uh the dragons beat up on southwest minnesota state so we watched that actually and i also caught uh, the end of my so is that is that the same school that coach fox coached in the in the TV series, wasn't it Minnesota State? Um, well, there are a number of different Minnesota states. Okay. So, uh, okay, uh, his is his is located in Moorhead, uh, Moorhead, okay. Minnesota. Um, and then I also watched my alma mater, DePaul University, play. They they won an overtime thriller against uh, Wittenberg in overtime to stay undefeated. Um, but I also did see, in terms of games that folks that are watching us care about. I saw pieces of the Ohio State-Penn State game, the Alabama and Tennessee game, the Utah-USC game. Um, beyond that, I've seen mostly highlights. So um, I, I was spending time with the family, went to a comedy show with my girlfriend on Saturday night. Did so you I, go to I, Seinfeld? <laughs> no, I did not see Seinfeld. Uh, it actually was he in He was La- in town. It, in La- yeah, but in in my oh, original in hometown so in it was like George Costanza. And <laughs> no, it was Kyle Kinane, who is a, a somewhat famous uh, comedian uh, who I was aware of prior to him coming to LaPorte. Um, but anyways, uh, uh, I thought the Ohio state Penn state game was sort of as I expected. And I, I don't think Ohio state's offense is as dynamic as it's been in the past, but there's enough there. And I think Ohio state's defense is really good. And that continued to, to be the case. Um, Alabama's offense struggled uh, in the first half and recovered 
um, a bit. USC defense is remains a problem, um, and uh, Utah, Utah remains a problem for USC in general. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't have a lot of takeaways. I'll start getting more into Pittsburgh stuff this week. Um, Eric, what what were some of the takeaways that you may have had uh, from Saturday? Well, my first takeaway was from the Dewashak St. Joe youth game <laughs> that my grandson Reed played in in the mud. It was a six nothing game, and every pass was like a shot put in that rain. Um, but was really interesting. Afterwards, we went out to lunch at this little pub up in Michigan, and Reed was talking about Sam Hartman. He goes, Grandpa, Sam Hartman's a man. And I said, what What makes you say that? And he goes, well, a few things. He goes, he has a beard and a mustache. I go, so does your dad. Um, <laughs> and he goes, and he said, he is so calm with everything going around him, whether there's pressure, he goes, he's really calm. And I thought for an eight-year-old to pick that out, he's almost nine, for an eight-year-old to pick that up, I thought, no wonder this kid is like the best kid on, you know, best player on his team. Would you, he, should his, we him for the podcast tomorrow? Yeah, I think we should get him <laughs> on the podcast. It was just, it was just interesting to see how interesting he was. And then the no, other that is, kid, that's a, that is a good observation. I like that. the other kids at the table. They all thought they were the local comedian, so they were all competing to be the funniest person <laughs> at the table, which they're going to lose to Grandpa. Um, and so I watched some of the other games. I watched Ohio State, Penn State. I watched a good portion of that. Um, and I was really impressed with Ohio State's defense and really stunned at how inept Penn State's offense looked against it. Um, Drew Aller, who's a really good quarterback, they did not have – Penn State did not have a third-down conversion until like inside of a minute was left in the game when they got that kind of – Ticky tack touchdown. It was 20 to six, and they made it 20 to 12 with like 29 seconds left. Um, you know, it was I only watched the part of the Alabama game where Alabama looked bad on offense. Apparently, they got all these points in the second half. Um, USC and, and Utah, the snippets I saw from that were USC just doing stupid things like. Uh, roughing the passer penalties on defense that allowed Utah to get down the field and get in position for a game-winning field goal. USC should have won that game. Uh, Utah really played them tough. And then I watched Washington, Arizona State, because I have to vote in that poll, and it was the last game being played. And Washington didn't take the lead until really late in that game, Um Arizona State was at seven to six and could add a chip shot field goal. They went for it through a pick six for like 90 yards going the other way and ended up winning 15 to seven. Uh, I still voted them number one. They turned the ball over a whole bunch of times and still were able to hold down Arizona State. But, you know, the thing that struck me more than anything else was a game I didn't watch, but was kind of following electronically. And that was Clemson, Miami. Mm -hmm. And it's just stunning what a funk Clemson is in with pretty good talent on that team. And, and you, you kind of look at it, and, and what was really stunning in that game for me was all year 
when Clemson has looked bad, at least they could run the ball. And Miami said, you know what? We're going to put extra guys in the box. We're going to shut down your run, and we're going to force Cade Klubnick to beat us. And he couldn't. And yeah. and that's stunning considering the pedigree. I mean, that was like the number two player in the country coming out his his senior year in high school. He's from the same high school as uh, – Jaden Greathouse down in Texas, um, and just Clemson's fall and what I, – I mean, even if they were to beat Notre Dame in a couple of weeks, that's not going to salvage their season. They've lost three ACC games. They are really kind of at a crossroads as far as I'm concerned with their offense. Yeah, I mean, I think it was either on Football Never Sleeps last week or the podcast last week. I think you said, hey, I think you're – you said to me – I think that I was discounting Clemson's offense a little too much, but um, I feel like there's just too many, too many times that seems to happen. Uh, and I, their passing game is just one that I don't have. Well, nobody had shut down their running game until Saturday and Miami just, they weren't, I mean, they ran the stupidest play <laughs> um, where, where Klubnik ended up losing a whole bunch of yardage when it was maybe fourth, and one from the one, or it was maybe a two-point conversion. I can't remember exactly what it was. I think it was a two-point conversion. And and they might have had a penalty where it was a little bit closer, and instead they had Klubnik try to take it outside instead of one of their really good running backs because they had no confidence they could get it. So, yes, you are correct in predicting that. <laughs> uh, because up until that point, I thought, you know what? Their quarterback stinks. They don't have guys on the perimeter but at least they can run the ball and they couldn't. Do, do you remember? Um, and I can describe it. Uh, I think it was the, like the essentially like the clinching touchdown for Ohio state. I think it was Ohio state's last touchdown. It was a uh, touchdown reception by Marvin Harrison jr. A catch and yeah. run. Um, that was like the kind of play I was like, why don't we see that in Notre Dame's offense more like, Yes, Marvin Harrison Jr. is a great receiver, but he didn't have to do anything great on that play. It was schemed for him to get open on a crossing route. I think right. I think I think people will call it a mesh concept where um, there's basically two guys from the other side crossing the field um, and then sort of causing some congestion, which which give gives Marvin the Penn Harrison State to, defenders ran into ran into each, ran into each other. Um, now maybe Notre Dame doesn't feel like it can buy enough time for, for Sam Hartman to do that, but you'd like to think that you should be able to do that. Um, that seems like a pattern that either Tyree or Faison could do. Anyone can do it. It's not, I don't well, think it's that I complicated, mean, that, but, but like but make think, the most of it after the catch. Right, 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 right. That, that has the speed then to outrun everybody. I think, I feel like, I feel like Notre Dame used Chase Claypool on that a lot. Like just get him drag across the middle, yeah. just give him the ball, and let him go. Cause Chase Claypool was really good after the catch as well. Um, so it's like that. Like those are the kind of things when I'm talking about. I'd like to see Notre Dame scheme its wide receivers open a little bit more. Um, those are the kind of things that I'm like, man, why can't Notre Dame? Like, yes, Marvin Harrison Jr. is great, but like, there are other players that can do that, and it's just as much the other guys on the, in that route concept as it was Marvin Harrison Jr. ability to do something with it after he got the catch. Right. Right. So yeah, I I would agree with you there. So, as we mentioned earlier, Notre Dame is at 14 right now. There are 12 teams that make the New Year's Six, and, you know, that includes the playoff semifinals. Mm -hmm. But you're throwing in a team that's a group of 
five team that's not going to be in the top 12. And then if Florida State makes the playoff, the ACC still will get a team in the Orange Bowl. That's how it works this year in the final year of this. You know, there's these rotating semifinals. So this is one of the years the ACC gets a team in the Orange Bowl. Well, after Florida State, who's the next team? Uh, at, what is it? It could be Duke. It could be Louisville. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, but it's not a team that's likely going to be in the top twelve. So Notre Dame really needs to be in the top ten. So what are your thoughts about the chances if Notre Dame wins out that they will actually be in the top ten? Yeah, I I haven't mapped out like the other losses that Notre Dame would need to have because I think it's probably probably somewhat extensive. Um, but I, I I tend to defer on the side of chaos when it comes to these things. As long as Notre Dame can win out, um, I'd like to think that they can get there. The problem is I don't know that Notre Dame's resume is going to improve much in the final month. Um, I think a Clemson a win at Clemson still matters even if Clemson w- loses a couple games still but it's not what it, you thought it was going to be when you entered the season. Um, if Does USC keep losing now? Like, how impressive is the win over USC in a month's time? Uh, so I think those those things will all matter. Certainly Ohio State is doing a good job of keeping Notre Dame's loss to Ohio State as, as impressive. I think Notre Dame needs Louisville to keep winning. I don't know if that will happen or not, um, but that would certainly help Notre Dame's case as well. I think they played Duke this week. So one of them has to win. Um, yeah, so that, that should help one of the <laughs> Notre Dame's resume, resume uh, items. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's possible. Uh, you you fo- follow the polls way more, obviously, as a, as a voter. voter. Um, I want to ask about that, but I also wanted to ask another thing. When, when you see the AP poll and the coaches poll sort of catch up to what you guys already had in your FWAA and FF, that's the Football Writers Association of America and National Football Foundation Super 16 poll that you vote in, do you take some pride in like, yeah, it's about time you guys got on our side. What what took you so long to get Notre Dame in the right spot? <laughs> well, the coaches always seem like they're about a week behind on things. Yeah. Uh, but I think the AP poll generally, other than a couple of vote crackpot voters, usually do a pretty good job. But, I mean, you know, somebody may look at my poll, my ballot, and think, has he been drinking? <laughs> I think um, – Two games hurt Notre Dame's perception Saturday that could have really helped them. The USC-Utah game, had USC won that game, I think that would have helped Notre Dame. I think the other thing that would have helped is if Riley Leonard didn't get hurt against Florida State. Now, I'm not saying they would have ended up winning that game, but he goes down either late in the third quarter or early in the fourth. It was 20-17 to Duke. And Duke was driving. They were in the red zone. And he hurt his ankle, so they brought in the backup quarterback who looked like a fourth-string quarterback. <laughs> I mean, he really struggled. Deer in headlights. And, and, and give Florida State credit. They immediately put all their resources into stopping the run and they begged that kid to throw a complete pass. And he was very off target. He was very nervous, a difficult environment to come in and play. But Florida State ends up winning that game going away 38 to 20 because, you know, then Elko has to kind of gamble. And, um, you know, they, Florida State had some short fields. So it was just touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. Right. 
but it would have been interesting to see had Riley Leonard stayed because if Duke wins that game, then that's two two games that really elevate Notre Dame that they had won. Instead, people just look at the final score and say, oh, Florida State wiped them out. Not really. I mean, Duke was, I don't want to say in control, but they were ahead with a pretty good chance with Riley Leonard of the game at least getting mm-hmm. another field goal, if not a touchdown. So, um, But I think Notre Dame, as long as they win and as long as there's not uh, like 17 to 12 win over Wake or something like that. Yeah. Because other teams are going to be playing big games at the end of November against really good teams. And so that's going to be the comparison. And if you win games like that, you invite teams that lose to just stay ahead of Notre Dame or jump over Notre Dame as Utah did this week. Not quite sure that I understand rationale i moved utah up too but i had notre dame ahead of utah on my ballot i felt like you know notre dame beat them by 28 points um utah only has one loss but um utah didn't play ohio state either so uh but yeah and i think that's really the goal right now is to get into the new year six uh bowl so um, speaking of Clemson, there's kickoff time options. They've hmm. eliminated it from being a night game, which I thought would happen if they lost to Miami. So it's either going to be at noon or 3.30 Eastern time, either on ESPN or ABC. Uh, and they will not determine that, or they don't have to determine it until after all the games have been played Saturday. And so they'd announce it late Saturday night or Sunday. It's called a six-day option. The game that they're toying with that that will be the other one in one of those time slots is Pitt and Florida State. So if my thought is if uh, Notre Dame beats Pittsburgh, then I don't know which is the more desirable time slot from... Yeah, I mean, I think... 3.30, but... I think it usually depends on like what what the other games are on the on the yeah. schedule and like I, I don't know what the Big Ten noon game is that week. Um, I know that the big noon kickoff where they're going to be is Kansas Texas, but I don't think that's a Fox game. Okay. But that is probably a noon kickoff since so, that's where they that's the game day show. It's right. it's confusing because it's called Big Noon Kickoff even though it's a show. Yeah, and and like it doesn't necessarily have to be for the game that's the noon kickoff like they were at Notre Dame for a non-noon kickoff um I so I I mean I I don't know like I think even if Clemson won they might have considered not putting it in at night because that's where Alabama LSU is going to be um and that's hard to go against um and they just want Notre Dame fans to be able to watch Notre Dame Clemson and and tune into the Tommy Reese Brian Kelly uh matchup (laughs) on CBS later later in the evening so um best of both worlds in my opinion um but uh, i'm certainly a happy sports writer to not have to cover another night game um and i think it's probably good for notre dame to not have to play clemson at night even though maybe the crowd isn't as rowdy as it it could be if clemson were having a better season um night games usually only ramp up the the excitement for opposing fan base so um i still think playing at clemson's not going to be a walk in the park but um, it maybe makes it a little bit easier um, for Notre Dame going in there. 
So Brian Kelly got his 300th coaching victory Saturday against Army, and they had, you know, his little speech. Mike Denbrock gave him the game ball. Mike Denbrock used to be offensive coordinator at Notre Dame. He's offensive coordinator at LSU now. And Brian gave a little speech, and I think it riled up Notre Dame fans. Oh, this is the best place I ever coached. And, of course, he's going to say that. What? How would that look if he said, you know what, you guys are – pretty good but Notre Dame was my favorite place to coach come on yeah this is my second favorite place to coach thanks for your thanks for letting me coach here I'm gonna keep doing it but it's not my favorite <laughs> yeah and and anyways no post-game speech that Brian Kelly ever gives will ever be the megaphone speech at Michigan State Years ago. what year was that do you remember oh i don't know well, 17 that, wasn't it yeah it had because to be they were around coming that time off the bad year that's why he was so fired up and quentin was, nelson was on the team because quentin nelson quentin, lifted him up right quentin nelson lifted him up like a rag doll and shook him <laughs> and then the whole way home uh well brian kelly his big line and his he was dancing you know and then he, he he's like that's a megaphone. <laughs> and then the whole way home, Mike Frellin in the middle of the night and Tyler James are rhyming things with that's a megaphone. Yeah. So that that's was a, a telephone. Yeah, yeah. That's an ice cream cone. <laughs> so uh, that, those are the delusions of uh, sports writers after a late night football game. <laughs> yeah. Those are the games you get home at about six in the morning. So, um, we're still taking your questions. If you guys want to chime in, we're going to bowl ahead with the show until you come up with some. So it's Tyler, it sounds like some of the younger guys did get some of the practice reps right. on Monday through Wednesday. They did do some ones on ones, but they also wanted to get a look at the twos and the threes. And one of the guys that came up for a question was Bubakar Triori and Marcus Freeman you know, he got two reps, two game reps against USC, and one of them was a sack. And then he celebrated a little bit too long, but we didn't get into that uh, today. Uh, but he, he hinted at it, but he didn't want to. Yeah, he hinted at it. But <laughs> it sounds like Bubakar's going to get more of a look. Now, first of all, do you endorse that move? And secondly, do you see anybody else that might fit in his category that might be able to make a move up the depth chart in these final four games, not just for mop-up duty, but for, right. you know, real high leverage snaps. Yeah, I, I would endorse that. I think we need to get to the bottom of how much Bubakar has played. Remember, I think it was last week we had a, the debate was like, well, it says that he's only played one game according to Notre Dame, but Pro Football Focus had him in some other games. So I, I don't know how many games he's played in for certain. I haven't doubled back on that. Um, and that was that would could dictate if Notre Dame is interested in trying to redshirt him this season, how much they use him moving forward. Um, but yeah, I would be in favor of it. Um, I even think the guy ahead of him, Joshua Burnham, I think I want to play a little bit more. Jordan Botello, I think he's like the one Notre Dame starter, starting defensive lineman whose stock has fallen for me this season. And right. I, I don't know what the answer is there. Um, but I think if if Joshua Burnham can continue to play well, if you can get some more reps for Bubakar Traore, I would be in favor of that. I think the, the more guys you can get out there, obviously we know if Jalen Sneed is sort of getting some of those reps, not necessarily at Viper, but in a pass rush kind of role on third downs. Um, 
So I think there's 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 some room for creativity on the defensive side there. Um, as for the offensive side of the ball, I don't I don't know. I mean, my guess I think I know what your answer would be, um, and that's Eli Raritan. Um, and I, I'm I'm open to that, but I don't know that there's much else changing. I, I think right. It's 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 as much about the reemergence of Jaden Thomas and Jaden Greathouse in the offense, um, and I think with the running backs, I we saw it sort of shrink down to mostly Audric Estime and Jeremiah Love against USC. Does it continue that way? I wouldn't necessarily have a problem with that. I do like what some of those other guys can do, but I don't know if I want to take those guys off the field uh, a lot either. Um, you've already played the Jordan Faison card. I, there's no other receivers that are waiting besides Braylon James that haven't played, and I don't know that that's going to be the answer there. So, um, And then other guys in defense, I don't know that there's anyone else that necessarily sticks out. Do you have uh, some guys in mind, Eric, besides the one I stole of yours, of Eli? Well, on defense, I mean, I think they've settled into where they think Jack Kaiser and Jalen Sneed can help them. But I don't think we're going to see a fresh face except in later stages of the game like Jay Osbury or Drake Bowen. I'm sure they'd love to get those guys on the field, Christian Gray, but not in the, uh, you know, uh, one score game. You know, I don't think mm. we're going to see them in the, those kind of circumstances. But while we're talking about personnel, especially wide receivers, I think we need to circle back to Tobias Merriweather now. It was interesting. Um, getting choked up? I'm getting a little for talk <laughs> amongst yourselves. Um, Sorry. So, I couldn't resist. <laughs> Rhode Island is neither a road nor an island. Discuss. Okay. Um, so that was a tribute to Antonio Carter and Linda Richmond. So, so Tobias... Mm. Today on the depth chart, and Notre Dame's official depth chart usually isn't super insightful. They usually just kind of roll out the same depth chart as the previous week. Now, this week they didn't. They put Rico Flores first, Tobias second, and then I asked Marcus Freeman about Tobias's role moving forward with the, the room kind of be repopulated with healthier wide receivers, you know, because because somebody's going to get a little bit of a squeeze, and Rico's been playing well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, his talk was that, yeah, he's he's somebody we talked about in our meetings today. We've got to get the ball down the field to him and some play-action shots and some 50-50 shots. We have faith that he can make those. Now, let me throw out a couple numbers for you, and then I'll ask you the question. Uh, of all the... Offensive players on Notre Dame's team, the lowest in catch rate, which is catches versus targets, is Tobias at 44%. He's also got the highest drop rate at 20%. So do you feel like this investment, first of all, let's say, do you feel like he's just paying lip service to this? Or do you think Notre Dame is really going to reinvest in Tobias and try to keep him a big part of the offense because he's number one in snaps among wide receivers. Yes, I, I, well, I don't, I don't. In terms of being a big part, I don't. He's not going to maintain that spot as the number one, number one in snaps. I don't think so. I do think they want to use him, and I think I, I am in favor of that. 
Um, I still think his skill set is different from the others on the on the team and at the wide receiver position. Um, and that I think you have to at least give it some shots and give it some tries. I, I think it's worth worth exploring um, in in ways. I, I I think to me it's like yes, Rico Flores has played well, but I, I don't know that he's like well I, he deserves to not share snaps now. Like I, I don't think he's played that well. Um, and so I I think I, I don't think really anyone at wide receiver has played to a level that it's like okay he needs to be on the field the entire time. Jaden Thomas is someone I thought that would be that, and maybe he gets back to that when healthy. Um, but I don't know that anyone else has played to that level. So I think that – and this is what I imagined happening this season was there being a lot of different rotation and guys getting used and, and finding different roles, but it hasn't really played out that way. Although if you look at the stats, it sort of looks like that because there's a lot of, a lot of guys bunched up with 13, 14, 15, 16 receptions. Um, but some of that is sort of like guys have come and gone throughout the season and and – some guys are good for a couple of games and then some guys haven't played as much um, later throughout the season. So I still think there needs to be some role for Tobias Merriweather in this offense. Um, and I, I, I just, it's, I think he can still make some plays for you throughout the rest of the season. And I, I even like, even I posted uh, on Twitter um, our updated depth chart with the Rico Flores news and folks were like, fine, good Tobias Merriweather. He stinks. Like well, I'm done with him. I think it's way too early to give up on Tobias Merriweather, whether it's just for the season or obviously definitely in his career at large. Um, so I, I, I think I would like to see some way to get him involved. Now, if he keeps failing, then I think I think the leash is short, certainly short, um, and that's why his his reps have been reduced as of late. But I, I just think that there's something – there still is something there that you got to tap into. And I don't think you want to lose it forever if you, if you don't if you don't sort of – tap into it now what do you right. think well you know and we haven't seen how he's practicing so we don't know what we do know is when he does get to practice and goes ones against ones or i guess twos against ones in this instance now he's going against two of the best cornerbacks in the country so i mean if iron sharpens iron that ought to help but yeah i would not pull the plug completely but i think giving Rico more opportunities makes sense. And again, with, with great house and Thomas, presumably at a hundred percent, you're going to have that boundary receiver position filled well, but yeah, I, I would like to see, especially against Pittsburgh. Um, that's not an incredibly good pass defense to see what he can do against them. Now, Clemson. Now Tyler's going to, Try to contradict me here. I know it. I can feel it coming. <laughs> Clemson is good on defense everywhere. They're one of the top. No, no, I'm not, I'm not contradicting that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go in, ahead. in the country. <laughs> um, Wake Forest is kind of in the middle of the pack on pass defense. Stanford is absolutely in the t bottom five in pass defense. So this is kind of the week to test that theory. So I like what Marcus had to say about it today. And before we get get going i want to ask john are you related to andrew that john yeah i was gonna to pull his his comment up i will be at the game on saturday i will be making the five-hour drive from pittsburgh i would like to assume a christophic from pittsburgh which is where andrew is from um is is related to andrew um i don't believe john is his father's name i think his father's name is dave if i remember correctly um but uh we appreciate you tuning in john and and best of luck on the drive J andrew got a spot on the uh 
game day graphic that Notre Dame tweeted uh, today, I, I, I think, on, on Twitter. Um, it was Riley Mills and I think it was off the top of my head. I think it was Riley Mills and Andrew Kristoffic. Um, so representing uh, a nod to his Pittsburgh roots. Um, e. Olson added TM is a willing blocker. At least I think that is fair with Tobias Merriweather. I think um, that is a good thing, but Notre Dame needs some help in the passing game from its receivers as well. Um, Joshua asked in, in reference to Tobias, do you guys ever get access to Tobias? Would like to know his demeanor and chances he isn't around next year. I hate speculating, but he can't be happy. Well, I mean, if he's unhappy, he's got to be unhappy with himself. I think the last time Tobias was in the rotation, and you correct me if I'm wrong, Tyler, uh, is middle of training camp, so middle of August, and I interviewed him that day. Um, but I don't remember him coming in uh, at least – midweek maybe after a game maybe after the central michigan game perhaps he had a good he had a touchdown in that game maybe yeah i think he has been available to us at some point this week i was trying to quickly search to see if i could find proof of that but i i'm not having any luck immediately he's here. not this week it's rico flores is the wide receiver that's going to be coming in i mean when i spoke to tobias i I felt like he took a very mature approach to some really difficult lines of questioning, and yet he didn't seem like a guy who had all his confidence there. And we had talked to Tobias actually on our podcast mm -hmm. right before he enrolled. Um, it was like May, and he was a June enrollee last year, and he was incredibly impressive his family's impressive he's got a great support system i don't think he's a guy that's a big baby that says well i'm not catching a lot of balls i'm gonna leave i mean again he's got more reps than any other wide receiver i'm not sure what his beef would be uh you know i think the only thing is if he had those kind of thoughts maybe it's i you know i need to uh you know, I need a new change of scenery or something. But I, I don't see that as something that would be in his mind. I think he would not even think about that stuff until after the season. The one thing that was kind of surprising to me that he said was how much he read social media about himself at the time. Now, since then, he shut that down. <laughs> but at the time, he goes, I see every comment, and I think, too much of that was getting into his head about other people's expectations. But, you know, for me, just kind of knowing his background and I would not give up on him at this point. I think there's something there worth being patient about. But again, I think moving him down the depth chart, making them kind of earn those reps at this point, I think is fair. Yeah, I, I think, uh, I, by the by the way, I I found we talked to him after the Central Michigan game in the post game, um, but I don't know that we talked to him at, at any point after that. But yeah, I, I think, um, it's he goes through the ups and downs like many players do, um, but I think he. My understanding is he ha has the right mindset. I think there's there's probably some frustration with um, his performance, um, and then maybe not getting some more chances since then. Um, especially like the lack of reps 
Um, but I, I think uh, that's why Notre Dame is making sure he's still a part of things because he he is important for Notre Dame, not just this season, but beyond next se- the season as well. So I think Notre Dame needs to to uh, consider that. I, I heard you chuckle. I'm, I'm guessing you're chuckling at Beef Eater. Yeah. Uh, Beef Eater asked, how much nose hair is Pat Narduzzi going to flare during the game? Is he on the hot seat yet? Oh, I, I also saw his second comment. Did you see that? Oh, That's seriously. Narduzzi is like the peacock of nose hair. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's already he's already in his press conference today. You tell him what, what he said in his press conference. You tweeted about it. Yeah, I was going through. So Pittsburgh shared the, the post game or it, Monday press conference transcript with us uh, from Pat Narduzzi. And he was being asked about some penalties. And I think there were some issues with some of the penalties that, that Pittsburgh had called against it um, against Wake Forest. And so someone asked like, does it, it, do you feel like, does it stink to like have these issues this part of the season when you get stuck with penalties and just sort of out of nowhere, he like references, well, we had that one pass interference call against Notre Dame the last time I was there, and I was ticked then. I don't remember when it was in the season. And I, I'm pretty sure he's talking about the, the game-winning touchdown that Miles Boykin caught um, against Pittsburgh, um, which um, I tweeted about. And then many quickly uh, shared the screenshot of Miles Boykin also being held uh, on that play as well by a Pittsburgh defender. So it's uh, – um, Pat Narduzzi always has his antenna up about Notre Dame. Um, and so uh, it'll be interesting to see what that, uh, what, what he, how he reacts to, to whatever happens uh, in Notre Dame Stadium on Saturday. E. Olson, speaking of antenna up about Notre Dame, does Phil Dracovic have more Instagram posts or snaps against Notre Dame this week? I think it's going to be a tie of zero. <laughs> um, he is now listed as the third string quarterback. There was some speculation that he was going to move to tight end. And then Pat Narnuzzi said, well, that's not happening. And if they are doing that, it's certainly behind the scenes. And they do have four tight ends on their roster. Uh, but he's listed as the third quarterback right now. He has not played since he was demoted. So he started the first five games in, and Christian Bayer, who is uh, a Penn state transfer to red shirt sophomore. He started the last two. Their stats have been pretty similar. I think Pittsburgh's offense has moved a little bit better with Bayer, um, But, you know, they're still not a very good offense and they only scored 17 in the Wake Forest game. They scored a bunch against Louisville, but a lot of those came off of their turnovers. They didn't have very many offensive yards in that game. Uh, so it'll be be interesting. But, yeah, I, I mean, it would almost be worth one of us going to Narduzzi's press conference afterwards <laughs> just to see what he said. <laughs> yeah, um, I think I think you're right on with zero. Phil Dracovic hasn't had a Instagram post since September 13th, so I would, would be a little shocked if you had one. Eelson is obviously referencing the last time Phil Dracovic came back to Notre Dame as a member of Boston College and um, wasn't playing, but he made a post that was pretty bizarre, including accusing Notre Dame of cultural appropriation for playing ship, shipping up to Boston. So uh, I don't think Phil Dracovic is going to do that again. When he was with Boston College, that was right. the thing. Yeah. 
Um, we have one more question from Ed Coquillard. Um, Ed, I'm sorry if I'm saying your name wrong. If uh, Coquillard, if, isn't it? Coquillard? I, I do not know. Um, if you want to send me the phonetics, I w- will not be upset. Uh, does a bowl game count against the four games played rule for redshirting? It does. Um, and, and again, I don't think I Notre Dame is really aware of who has who's on the cusp of going over four games, who's not. I mean, I think the people have asked about both Nolan Ziegler and Eli Reardon because they were such late entries and it would be pretty easy to restrict them to the four. But I think at this point, I think they're both better off playing. You know, Eli missed a whole year. The more he can get actual game reps, the more he's going to help you next year. And I'd I'd say the same thing for Nolan Ziegler. Let the kid play. He came back from, you know, um, a personal issue that was related to mental health. And I think the more he gets on the field and is able to contribute, the better off he's going to be. I mean, if Eli Reardon turns out to be the player that he was projected to be coming in, he wouldn't be a five-year player anyways. And maybe Nolan Ziegler wouldn't either. Yeah, it is something that I think the NCAA should at least consider with, especially with the opt-outs becoming such a fad um, and that pushing teams to need. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good point. I mean, you're trying to incentivize, right? Um, So maybe considering not counting that against you for a redshirt season, um, I think would be fair. Um, I don't know if that's been proposed. I think I heard some. I think that came up at some point last last offseason or last season when. You see all these guys dropping out of games, and guys need teams need to fill out the rosters with competitive players, and sometimes um, they can be in a tough spot with that. And then, and then you're sort of, if you had a guy that was on the border, you feel feel kind of bad if he has to play in a a game that means little to some of his teammates, but then he has to play and then lose lose a year of eligibility as a result. <laughs> well, the best way to Ensure participation is for Notre Dame to play LSU in a bowl game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I would imagine so. Um, I know one of the hot topics on the on the Insider Lounge uh, over the weekend was whether or not someone like Sam Hartman would play in a bowl game and what what kind of bowl game he would be willing to play in. He's probably not exactly motivated by Brian Kelly <laughs> by necessarily because that he wasn't not here before that. But his teammates are. Uh, there are plenty of teammates that would be pretty pretty fired up to to play in that game okay do we want to hit a couple of recruiting points before we say goodbye or yeah we can do that real quick hey we got a you're all good from ed on the pronunciation even though we pronounced it two different ways (laughs) yeah yeah he didn't say we're close (laughs) enough we're in the ballpark ed c (laughs) so so notre dame got a verbal commitment from james flanagan tight end from green bay Wisconsin, his dad, Jim Flanagan, was a former defensive lineman for Notre Dame. Really, really good defensive lineman. So what's Notre Dame getting in James Flanagan? Yeah, he's the number seven tight end in the 2025 class, number 244 overall. Um, It's a nice get. I think it's always good to get those legacy commitments. Um, He's a bit raw, as Clint Cosgrove, our, our Midwest national recruiting analyst, pointed out. Um, but I think he's the kind of guy you want to bet on in terms of, uh, like how hard of a get was he? I, I think 
he's on the easier. I mean, you're talking about tight ends. Notre Dame, <laughs> Notre Dame could re- recruit tight ends in his sleep, I think. Um, but the need for a tight end became greater when Nate Roberts uh, dropped out of the class, and James Flanagan was someone Notre Dame always liked in the class as well. And so he's in there, and now Notre Dame's um, weighing the, the the possibility of taking a second 2025 tight end, depending on whether or not it can get Carter Nelson in the 2024 class. Um, so that's something I reported on the Insider Lounge, I think, last week. Um, so that's that's something to keep an eye out for. Um, but yeah, a good commitment for Notre Dame. Certainly not one to overlook. I think he's got some good size um, and uh, some good strength. He's played both sides of the ball uh, a little bit as well. So uh, a, a very good player out of, out of Wisconsin and a good addition for the Irish. And do we sense more commitments maybe coming in the next few weeks or for 2025? I, yeah, I don't necessarily know that there will be. Um, one guy I'm keeping a close eye on is Owen Strebig. I think he's planning to go to the UCLA USC game at the end of the season. And then I wouldn't be surprised if he makes a decision soon after that, but we're getting sort of the part into the cycle with these 2025 recruits where their junior seasons are ending. Either they like have a decision made already, or they have an opportunity to make a lot more visits if they wait till January and start, start getting back on campuses. So I don't know that we'll see, see a lot of more, a lot more decisions. Like I, and Notre Dame's not necessarily going to have big recruiting weekends moving forward here um, to close out the season. So there could be a couple of guys Notre Dame's in good good shape with um, that decide to go, go ahead and end it. But um, we're getting towards like the end of the window for that, I think, um, for a lot of 2025 guys until we get back into the junior day cycle. Um, that'll start back up in, in January. Speaking of windows, if you say, what's this insider lounge they're speaking of? That offer right down there in the bottom. There we go. I get my finger in the right place. Um, <laughs> use NDYT for a 30-day free trial. You get all our premium information. And then you'll know exactly what we're talking about when we say the Insider Lounge. That's right. Um, yeah, so make sure you sign up for that. Um, we'll be back on YouTube later this week. Um, place your bets will be back. I'm sorry for everyone who missed that. I, I'm sure there's not a, a giant crowd for that, but we didn't have any bets to make. Um, we, we weren't watching enough of games that folks wanted to bet on. We uh, do that pick them contest, and I missed the noon kickoffs. Oh, no. So I got all those wrong. Well, I tried. I remembered when I was watching my grandson's game, so in the rain I'm trying to do it, and it wouldn't <laughs> let me in. So I had to wait till I got done with lunch, and then I was able to pick the other games. You didn't take advantage of the reminder I put on the inside lounge. Uh, I usually do that on Thursday. Well, you remember Saturday was a day where I was a little distracted. Yeah, uh, for those who don't know, uh, Eric just had another birthday, so happy birthday to Eric. Uh, make sure you guys wish him some well in the comments if you're still hanging around here. Um, I think he's like 37 now, so um, I'm, <laughs> I'm catching up to him. But um, My 11-year-old yeah, grandson thought I was 50. I go, you're my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> he knows Christmas is coming up, so of course he thinks you're 50. <laughs> Um, yeah, so we'll be back for Place Your Bets. Um, later in the week, we'll do an Inside Indie Sports podcast um, tomorrow, Tuesday. Um, we'll be back with um, our uh, post-game takeaways after the game on Thank Saturday. You. you won't have to wait until 3 or 4 a.m. Uh, like, like you have in the past. Uh, but uh, after all those night games. Um, and uh, then, 
we will be back for football never sleeps again monday um so i don't have anything else to add eric what would you like to add before we go on our way out here uh i want to have i want to have a beer with beef eater um, <laughs> and thank you eric for the birthday wishes and thank your parents for naming you an awesome name <laughs> and thanks to legacy heating and air for sponsoring us love heating legacy heating and air my Daikin furnace right now probably isn't working real hard and it won't be working at all tomorrow because mm -hmm. it's supposed to be 77 in South Bend tomorrow. Wow. So we're going to get one more blast of Indian summer. All right. That's well, all we, I have to say. All right. Well, we appreciate everyone tuning in. Make sure you subscribe to the channel, like comment, do the, do the whole thing, share it with folks that want some more Notre Dame content. And we appreciate your support and we'll see you soon.